how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? Everybody, this is Rose. And this is Louisa. And you're listening to Sober Sex. I made a promise to myself to stop not listening. What it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality. It started with putting down the substances, really, and starting to listen. And the listening to my body has changed. Welcome to Sober Sex. We are super delighted to welcome Sabrina, who is a writer, poet, and multidisciplinary artist for our second Sober Sex episode. Welcome, Sabrina. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Delighted. Where Hello. are you, first of all? I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. We just had another giant storm. My power came back on last night, so that's exciting. Um, I have coffee. Yes. Very important. Yeah. Glad you got your power back in time to podcast. I know. I was actually curious to see how this was going to go. You know, it's that uh, it's that game I like to play with myself. Like, I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is. Can you explain that? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's that danger addiction. You know, there's still the, there's still the tendency to have a danger addiction. And, um, you know, uh, sometimes it plays out in things like that, where I just roll the dice and, and say, okay. And it's, you know, I think trusting and relying on something other than me has allowed that to be tamped down somewhat. So it's not so risky anymore, but more mm -hmm. like, I wonder how this is going to unfold because I do believe based on the experience that I've had that, um, that however it's supposed to work out, it will. It won't always be the way that I might have thought that I wanted it to work out, but that has been to my benefit always. Yeah, the whole, if, if I'd gotten what I thought I wanted, I would be totally selling myself short. Well, exactly. The vision that I often have, even, you know, when we're talking about something as as straightforward as, oh, I've made arrangements with some girlfriends to do this um, podcast. Is that actually what I'm supposed to be doing? What do I know? You know, the, the way that I, I, I tend to start my days nowadays um, is let's see what you have in store for me. This is my general sketch of what I think is going to happen today or what I intend to complete today but but what do you actually have in store for me today and sometimes it looks nothing like what I thought it was going to and that's all to my benefit you know hey fucking men I mean so to kind of zoom out a little bit what did that look like to begin with like what did you think you what did you think you wanted <laughs> at the kind beginning of at the beginning of my my sobriety yeah, I guess, or at the beginning of, like, a journey into, like, a spiritual awakening. Because, like, when we say sober sex, this is, like, we're, as people in 12-step recovery, we're talking about kind of that journey. But also, we're hoping to soon, sooner or later, talk to people who are not necessarily in that 
recovery process, but are still kind of have a spiritual integrity or, and are kind of on a, you know, on a path or, or growing in this way. Absolutely. Right? And there's, you know, I've been blessed with meeting people in, in my own recovery process that aren't in 12 step at all, but have, um, given me great tools or, um, great steps to deeper understandings. So I definitely do not feel that it is a, a one size fits all or only this way. This is just what, you know, this is just what the foundation looked like for me. And I had um, no idea what would be possible and plausible when, um, when this started for me. I actually was probably more inclined to believe that it wasn't going to be possible and that there wasn't going to be uh, a spiritual awakening for me. I really believed that I was uh, an exception to that rule and, and, you know, that that was, I had a lot of disdain around it. Um, I equated it with religious leanings, which I also was super biased against and, um, you know, grew up in a household with someone who was jumping on each and every bandwagon that came down the pike as far as, you know, new age practices. And, and yet, you know, she would say, you know, oh, I'm of the light and I surround this in a pink bubble and then, you know, turn around and sock me because she didn't approve of the way that I looked or behaved. So, mm -hmm. you know, I really had a lot of judgment and, um, you know, but I was out of ideas, uh, as far as coming to this way of life and coming to a new understanding of what could be possible. So the idea that, and, and certainly around sex, I mean, I, I, my history with sex has been, you know, because I'm, I'm someone who came from out of, you know, a traumatic introduction to sex or, or, um, a lack of choice. I spent many decades not enjoying anything about sex, but rather tried to find ways to harness it to my benefit, but not understanding that I could be a, a being participating in it. And, um, and so, you know, I was just sort of whipped around and then, you know, would try to find ways to upright myself or somehow hold the reins in that situation. What are some of the, the kind of tools, like what did harnessing it look like uh, in, before it became fun? <laughs> well, so, you know, as a very young person, I, I, you know, was desperately trying to approach things from, a, you know, from a immature mind. And so the way that it came to me was I, I haven't had a choice about these things. How can I? you know, have a choice and, and, you know, through a series of circumstances ended up in sex work and, you know, I wasn't a victim of, there was no, you know, coercion necessarily. I was very active in my early addiction for sure, but, 
you know, I was, nobody kidnapped me or held a gun to my head in any way. Um, and I remember believing, oh, this is a way that I can be in charge of this. And initially, you know, was, you know, fairly innocent in the, you know, in the scheme of things and that I worked in a little, you know, topless bar in my t- small town that I grew up in and, and, you know, Hey, here's my boobs. Right. And quickly, you know, started to understand, oh, I'm wielding power, right? People are not only giving me money, but I'm controlling the situation, right? And um, so it had its advantages for sure as somebody who didn't feel that she had any power choice or control over anything. And, um, you know, I met a lot of interesting people along the way and, you know, eventually that, you know, spilled out into, you know, working in dungeons and doing, you know, adult videos and, you know, obviously one-on-one sessions and all that kind of stuff. So I've, I've dabbled in a, a little bit of everything, um, But at the end of the day, did I feel like I transcended the lack of power? No, absolutely not. Um, Do you feel like it was like exacerbated or did you feel like for a little while at least? Yeah, in some ways for sure. But, But also, you know, I was so young, so very malleable and impressionable and, you know, came from a you know, household in which I wasn't necessarily celebrated for anything about myself, that this was a way that I started to feel that I could be celebrated. But of course, there were some shortcomings from that in that, you know, I've become a very two-dimensional character that I've created in which, you know, I want you, I want you, I want you, I'm willing to give you my money or my, you know, buy you things, blah, blah, blah. But nobody's really seeing behind the curtain. And, you know, so what does that require me to do? And I did, um, you know, I did work in those industries, both on drugs and off. I made way more money on drugs, quite frankly, um, because any, any inhibitions that I may have felt, you know, of course were removed, but then uh, there was an unpredictability about me based on what chemicals I had in me and, um, you know, where I was at. I'm not sorry that I did any of it. I'm, like I said, I met a lot of, um, great people. Yeah. And it sounds like it's also like informed your work and your, like your sexuality today in a powerful way. Yes. Like the reclamation process is fucking... Well, it it opened my, it opened my eyes to, you know, what is possible as a female, you know, Mm. Um, whether it's in the dungeons where there's the stereotypical stuff that went on that, you know, most of culture has exposure to, to, you know, rather extreme things that I may have never um, witnessed and, you know, started to help me understand what was my my particular leanings and 
you know, how to ask for those things. Let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> <Even> <laughs> um, like as we get more and more serious, I'm like, wait, pause. Because I know that's something that we've bonded on over in the past. And I actually don't know. I think it was probably through your kind of posting like some of your photography on Instagram, maybe. I'm not quite sure how we got on that subject, but I know that we are both identify as like feminist submissive. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. or if, I'll, I will try not to speak for you. That's how I identify, and I know that you, we have a kind of kinship yeah. in that. <laughs> and um, and that's a definitely like a different thing than um, than you know being a, a pro dom or mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. what you might have been a role you might have been placed in in sex work. So how did you kind of like discover that part of yourself, and how did you like yeah reclaim it in recovery? Like what does that look like? In, in terms of evolution? Well, I do feel it is a, a continued process for me because as you and I have discussed before, it's, it's so easy to end up in a situation in which, you know, oh, well, she's a submissive, so I can treat her really poorly, you know? And I have over the decades, you know, wound up in situations with somebody who was ill-equipped to, you know, uh, be a dominant, you know, and it's not just about, oh, well, you know, she likes to be smacked around or whatever. It's not really that at all, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. for me, the process of understanding, oh, I, I'm actually the one in charge here. And, um, I'm not having fun. No one's having fun. Well, exactly. And, and it used to be, you know, oh, well, and, and, and again, you know, with so much of my sexual experience, it's been in some ways, I feel like a late bloomer, right? Hmm. Because I went through so many things and, and like, I was thinking about this this morning, knowing that I was going to be on this um, conversation with you guys and, and how, any orgasm that I had that wasn't uh, self-induced until much, much later in life was almost an accident, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and that I remember uh, having that, that understanding in my forties, oh, wait, people actually do these things and have this experience and it's not on accident. You know what I mean? Like it was such a revolutionary thing at 45 years old to go, oh, <laughs> this is something that that actually people do have sex for, you know? <laughs> this is me. This is what I like explicitly. Like yes, that my- or like, and I can seek it and ask for it or like. Well, I just, I just didn't have a voice for so very long, even when I thought I did. And I really didn't, um, you know, I had long-term relationships where this particular leaning was frowned upon or I was ridiculed for, um, and I tried to push it away um, as, oh, they're right, this is a bad thing, you know? And yeah, or like good girls don't like this. <laughs> exactly. Well, and again, good and sober had, girls, especially. Yeah, uh, certainly good sober girls don't <laughs> don't like to be tied up. 
good sober girls don't like to, you know, have any number of scenarios happen. And, and those good and bad quote unquote roles and how they would play out. Or even for me, what it was, was, well, if I believe in myself and if I am, you know, strong in my own power, why would I want somebody to tie me up? Hmm. So it even like that was like not only you're a bad girl, but you're a bad feminist. <laughs> exactly. That oh. I must be I must yeah. be a bad feminist if I have this desire. And you know, starting to marry all of that through the process of of inventory, through the process of you know getting deeper into the practice of well, this is the way that I actually am wired, and if I believe that you know, that I am as I was made, then th- there's nothing wrong with any of this. Yeah. That like, it's inherently acceptable to God because like I'm loved. <laughs> I'm exactly. Loved and I'm lovable. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And so how does like, I'm really curious as to how it informs your work. Cause I, I recognize there's like a lot of kind of sexual power within your work that I really res it really resonates like I love it you know and I just like to if possible just rewind even further back than that for anybody who might not know what these relationships look like like how you arrived there in defining uh that you were a sub how how do you call it Louise a submissive feminist either feminist submissive or submissive feminist I I think maybe feminist submissive because it's not like the submissive is the role, not the behavior necessarily. <laughs> exactly, okay. and it's a it's a belief system, and and you know, so if I believe that as a female, that I um, am equal to, right, then that then I also submit to, right, and one of the things that you know. And I don't fault anyone in my history, but I do see how, you know, some of the choices in my early relationships in seeking this specific um, sexual flavor that I, I would seek somebody who was rather abusive rather than somebody who understood the nuances of what this looks like. And because I was so young, I didn't feel like I could stop anything, you know? Well, so what does that look like? I mean, even more precisely, like for you, what does a good dominant look like? Because I think this can also be like a helpful podcast for anybody who might be interested or like kind of might have their ears pricked by this or relate to your experience of feeling like um, a BDSM scenario might equate to abuse. It's like, what, what are to do's and not to do's in that for you? Because I think it can be different for everybody, but there's some cool, <laughs> cool ground lines to like look out for. Like for you, what's the difference between a, a somebody who's trustworthy and, and a good play partner as a dominant, and somebody who's not, having seen both well, sides? Well, and it 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 you know for so long it was I didn't want to have conversation because then it sort of in my mind ruined any sort of intrigue or magic or any of that. But I, I'm someone who now really believes that it's very important to have conversation, open dialogue with another adult who's mm-hmm. able to talk about these kinds of things and, and you know, understand where everybody's coming from. And, and, you know, like I said before, you know, sex 
was such an, a happenstance or an accident in a sense that I never understood um, the mind portion and that if I am going to engage in any of these scenarios with anyone, I really better be able to talk to them openly. And, and, and you know, what I look for uh, in those dialogues, is this somebody that um, I'm able to express myself freely with? And do I see them as having you know, a kindness, not a cruelty, you know, because I do be very kind sadists. (laughs) Well, and and that's exactly, but I didn't understand that. And so what I would get into would be sadistic, cruel situations. And that's not a good scenario. Yeah. Especially without communication. Exactly. And, you know, when I had a death wish, it was fine. You know, like, all right, whatever, I might die, but that's fine, I guess. Were you active in the submissive feminist role when you were in active addiction? Or is this something that is kind of been born in sobriety and through a sex ideal for you? It definitely came more into recovery because, you know, I, as much as I might have in my little beginnings tried to... Um, have any sort of, oh, women are equal to men, or um, I am just as important. I didn't really believe any of that, uh, only because it was evidence to me over and over and over again in my own experience that I wasn't equal, that men could always um, have power over me in any scenario, not just about sex, but in any scenario. I was always on the... um, sort of victim role. And I needed that script flipped because I helped write it, you know. We've all had to, I mean, flip the script on Mm -hmm. our sexuality Mm -hmm. in recovery Mm -hmm. in different ways. And I think it's, I think it's really important for this conversation to be given platform to and for people to hear that, you know, just because you're sober, it doesn't mean (laughs) that you can't, um, you can't diversify or change how intimacy uh, can work or not work for you. I mean, absolutely. Or what you think you might be into for fear of like somehow reverting back to old behaviors. Cause like, right. I'm, I'm trying to get, it's like, there's so much, <laughs> I have so many thoughts, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, that idea that like, until I can kind of get a handle on my own worth and my own relationship with a higher power that like it was really and like, this is fucking like a decade into recovery, like this is a long time sober, that um, I couldn't treat myself like my, my, my offer of submission, like what I was looking for, I couldn't treat it as a gift. So I would let whoever would be interested and usually like expect mind reading too so i had a lot of scenarios where i would be like is this interesting to you and they'd be like no what are you talking about i'm not into that and they'd be like oh well okay <laughs> whatever you want <laughs> whatever you want yeah but- <laughs> i should have a say in it <laughs> totally but um or the fact that this is like irrelevant and valuable and like a feature not a glitch you know that it's like this is important to me and it's special <laughs> but that like my submission was not a, it was a given it wasn't a gift so I couldn't kind of advocate for myself as like no this is valuable and I get to choose to whom I give 
this gift as opposed to like mm-hmm. anybody who'll take it. <laughs> like I'm available for that, you know? So there's yes. like a lot of untangling. Yes. And that's what I was trying to say by my, you know, my own understanding also, because I was so hungry mm-hmm. for that flavor that I often would wind up in scenarios just because I was like, well, they like the flavor I like, so I'll just do it. Totally. Oh my God. And then even like, again, in recovery, kind of feeling betrayal mm-hmm. around that being like, well, mm-hmm. why am I attracted to this thing that's clearly unhealthy still? I'm so mm-hmm. attracted, but it's cause it's mm-hmm. like until I knew my own worth and was like kind of adamant about exploring it. And I mean, I guess that'll kind of bring us to the, the idea, idea of a sex ideal. Like, where is that for you today? Like, how... And just to say to anybody um, in who's sober, who isn't in 12-step recovery, a sex ideal is what, Louisa? And I think this could actually be valuable across the board, but it was kind of presented to me as part of like, the kind of accumulation of what I've discovered about who I am in relationships and what I can kind of do better in, in my personal and romantic relationships. Like, who is the person I want to be? Who is the person I want to bring to those situations? You know, so like, what does safe and sane look like, even in the context of like kink or kind of perversion? Like, what? Who am I? Who do I bring to that in a spiritually centered way, sexually? Right. Yes, and that, and I, I remember. <clears throat> When I was, I wrote the very first sex ideal and I was so naive to the process and being, you know, remade as, as a woman that I thought, you know, naively that I was supposed to be something that I had never been. So I thought I was supposed to want things that I had never wanted and be pious in some way around that stuff. And um, when I wrote that out and then took it to the woman that was taking me through the 12 steps and, you know, she was like, Oh honey, you know, she was so good to me, but also helping me understand that, that this is, you know, what is the truth for me? And, you know, and also not writing down like, well, the person needs to be these things. Here's my checklist of my favorite things. Santa. You know, <laughs> you know, exactly. Where's my sex Santa? You know? Santa, blue eyes. Yeah. And that oh, thing, me. Right? <laughs> and it's in a, it's very much like everything else, it's very much evolved over time and it's been revisited so many times over because, you know, again, I'm someone who came as an empty sort of shell of who I am today. And you're um, so full now. I love you so much. <laughs> but I didn't know that. I really thought that I was, you know, of, uh, you know, oh, I'm a mother and I've been a wife and I've had all these life experiences. So clearly I'm a full-fledged human, right? Mm. And so having all of these shifts take place in which I'm still to this moment having new understandings about what it means for me to be a woman, to be a sexual being, to be 50 years old, which I did not plan for, you know, uh, all of this stuff. And, you know, uh, the sex ideal who I would like to be able to bring into my intimate relationships, whether 
it's, you know, with a partner or just with an encounter, you know, who would I like to be? So we talk about that kind of coming into your sexual or romantic relationships or your, those intimate connections, but how do you take that into your work? How does it inform your creativity? Well, that's something that, you know, blossomed out for me through this process. And I, you know, as somebody who always wrote and always created, but again, not having a full connection to self Mm. and I'm not faulting any of my earlier experiences, but I just didn't really feel connected to who I was. Um, Mm. And so oftentimes I would be like a little lap dog, like, do you like this? What about this? You know, and it, you know, so it wasn't, it was as true as I could be at the time. Um, Where I am now is if something comes to me because of the connection that I have with source, I just go with it and it either dead ends or it doesn't. Right. So like when we were uh, talking about the cage, right now that came to me and it may or may not be. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Nobody knows about the cage. (laughs) It actually touches all of these things. (laughs) FYI, I had a Zoom birthday party and there was mention of cages. So can we, can we back up on that? Yeah. What is the cage, Sabrina? (laughs) (laughs) Well, so what happens now for me and has been unfolding since I've been, you know, in this process is, and, you know, opening the channel, opening um, myself up to creativity in a new way, right? And so rather than trying to attack the creativity and manage it in some way, like, oh, well, this is what is going to happen. Being, again, fluid as I can be, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. I, I have some say in this, maybe I have no say in this, maybe it's going to look like this, maybe it's not going to look like this. And so what happens usually on a daily basis is something occurs. And, um, on that particular day, when I got asked that question, you know, um, it had occurred to me that because we have dog crates in the house, because we have a puppy, I had been, you know, noticing how it kept coming up. I should get inside that crate. And then um, not only should I get inside that crate, which can be fun in and of itself, but I should get inside that crate and take my own photo. Well, how could I do that? You know, and so oftentimes when these things come up and they continue to come up, I go, okay, I should probably... um, do my best to execute this. And I might throw it in the garbage. Like I might try to execute it and then say, oh, this is, I don't, I don't feel like this is real or true. And other times, you know, I actually enjoy what happens, even if it's not what I thought it was going to be. You know, when I, when I, um, got the liquid latex in the mail and tried to paint myself with it and then throw myself in the backyard, um, with the camera on the tripod, did it look how I thought it was going to look? No. Did I like it anyway? Sure. You know, um, because ultimately I do understand that I'm simply the hollow bone and it's passing through. Right. And so, Mm. you know, 
there's not a, a, the the idea of sexuality, um, my sexuality being exploited doesn't exist for me. You know, oftentimes I'm the subject because I'm the closest thing, right? Especially now that we're locked up. <laughs> yeah. But but I don't, you know, I don't do that because of any other reason than it's convenient and or I don't have to have a conversation with myself about it, but rather like, okay, you know, and there's a great um, relationship that takes place when I do find others to be a subject, you know, male or female, uh, you know, dressed, undressed, uh, all of that stuff. But, but, you know, ultimately it comes back to me. And, um, I'm not, I'm not sure if, if the getting inside that, that dog crate will look like what I want it to look like, but I'm also so open to whatever transpires and does it, you know, does it actually translate or not? You know, um, it's it sounds like the your kind of journey with your with your sexuality and intimacy and your creativity are hugely kind of linked in that way to sort of your spiritual turning over to mm -hmm. a, a greater being or whatever. And it's really fascinating to hear how closely and tenderly they are linked. I've never heard it described with quite I, that specific. Well, I don't think that any of them could exist without the other as I am today. Previously, yes. I mean, but I, sorry, go you. <laughs> well, but I, you know, I didn't, I, as, as, and there are days of course that I'm racked with any sort of self doubt or fears or what have you because of conditionings of my past. Right. So I don't have the right, like it might look like I don't have the right to do something because I am, you know, this old, right? And I remember I got into a disagreement with somebody several years ago because I remember this on the Instagram? Yes. And <laughs> she that person. I mean well, bless them on their said, path. She said to me that that how dare how dare I, you know, show a photo of myself as a much younger person being photographed um nude how dare i do that as a mother and um you know first of all i did not appreciate that she wanted to take that to the public forum because that's a private conversation in my eyes but i was fine with having it publicly too and also you know i have found that sometimes women that i very much love and care for have strong responses to what i might choose to do with my body and, you know, they get upset. Why so much blood? Why all this, you know, why, why all this latex, <laughs> you know, but to me, you know, the, the, the experience is always evolving. And like I said, sometimes, a lot of times the subject is me because I'm here, you know? So if I'm tying myself up and taking my photo, or if I'm putting some ridiculous costume on because that's what's happening, then that's what I'm doing. Am I objectifying myself? No. You know, do I feel like I'm shortchanging myself? No. But 
you know, what I have often said to my, my female friends specifically, if it's offensive to you in any way, you don't have to look. Yeah, I'm not stop telling, following me. Like you <laughs> can you can care for me, you can love me, you can participate with me, you can be in a friendship with me and you don't have to look at any of it. Hey fucking men. And also I I mean kind of what you were saying before about like the practice the as a creator and as the kind of like exploring this side of your sexuality of like putting yourself in the crate and seeing if it works and if it didn't and like it might be fun in the process and it might mm-hmm. be silly but like kind of who gives a fuck I think exactly this like your exploration of that meanwhile I remember seeing like a couple weeks ago that you put yourself in a relationship on Facebook and then you announced that it was with yourself (laughs) and and like fucking respect you know like (laughs) a to kind of bring that person into a creative practice or into a relationship and to be able to be like I chose me and like I'm entirely comfortable in in all of it in like in trying new things in feeling silly in engaging with myself in this way and not needing to kind of have approval or not needing to censor myself for the benefit of others like that's so fucking rad (laughs) well and that's the thing right so I as a as a younger woman thought either I had to be black, it had to be black or white, right? Like either I'm raw, get away from me. Right. Or, Oh, I'll be, you know, be a good girl. Like we've talked about so many times, but, but the understanding that I didn't do that specific thing you're talking about to offend anyone or rile anybody up, but it's really a declaration for me. I was annoyed that Facebook doesn't allow you to put that in the context, like you can't put, I'm in a relationship with myself. They won't allow it. Strike 500. So you have, so you can put, I'm in a relationship, but you can't put with myself. Mm-hmm. They won't with let Sabrina. <laughs> so, so uh, when I discovered that glitch in, I was like, okay, well, whatever, this is a conversation that I'm, I'm wanting to open right? So put it up there, let it go for a little while, saw how people were, you know, blah, blah about this and that. And then finally, I had to say what I had to say, which is, it's me. It's me. I'm not, there's no egg on anybody's face for saying, oh, congratulations, blah, 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 you deserve it. But rather, understand, this is why I opened this conversation. Because if I don't have me, no one does, Mm -hmm. right? So I can't be in any relationship if I don't choose me first. Right. Ugh. That choice is not always easy though, is it? Let's no. be honest. No. Like I think choosing that relationship with yourself first, for me, as a recovering codependent people pleaser, the list is never ending. Um <laughs> is um to choose to choose myself is a lot harder Mm. it's easier to choose the relationship it's easier to choose the settling down it's easier to choose the the codependence and compatibility well so do i mean how do you define that you're in a relationship with yourself what's that look like what i was going to say though is it actually easier or is it that it's more familiar right? It is more familiar for me to hand the keys over to someone else. It is more familiar for me to 
um, seek others' approval. It is more familiar to um, base my self-worth on what he or she says or does around me. That's more familiar, but it's not easier. It's painful as fuck Mm. to exist there. And so what does the practice look like in choosing myself is, you know, as I move through each and every day, right? And, And of course, like everything, it's not perfect on any given day. And there are down days and, you know, et cetera. But, you know, as I deepen my connection, I, you know, come to more realizations about what it might look like. And so I don't have to act out against myself anymore. Mm, you know? God, it's so beautiful. Wow. <laughs> well, and also it's like to have the kind of spaciousness within relationship with self, including kind of, if you're <laughs> like, we don't think about it that much, but it's like, I am living with myself. You know, I'm mm-hmm. like, every meal is with me. <laughs> every mm-hmm. piece of work I make is with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. we wake up together, we go to sleep together. Like, mm-hmm. and th- to kind of have compassion for being imperfect, like I might for a partner, you know, and yes. Like, instead of just totally splitting or cutting off or like abandoning myself whenever I fuck up, you know? Right. And that's, you know, the way that I survived a lot of my life was by disassociating. Right. So if I, if I wasn't connected, there was this, there was like a hard line between my head and the rest of me. And that was how I survived so often. Right. I watched the movie unfold and would say, oh, that poor thing, look at her go, right? But but I wasn't actually in my body having the experiences, either uh, negative, positive, or neutral. I just wasn't there. And, you know, through this process, I am in my body. And if I'm in this body, and I continue to hate upon it and tell it it's bad, it's flawed, it's wrong, well, that's a really shitty prison to be in. And, you know, so understanding that, yes, I come, you know, to today with limitations physically um, that I didn't have 25 years ago, right? Like, I have to be slower and kinder with myself as far as how I might physically, the demands I might physically put upon myself, right? Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that I don't understand how, you know, I am a cheerleader for this vessel, you know, that the idea that that somehow my vessel is flawed because some other woman is considered to be beautiful is false. My vessel is not flawed. My vessel is exactly how she should be. I've, you know, lived through so many different experiences, both chosen and not. And, you know, I remember a few years ago uh, when I was attempting to online date. And one of those dates, the man said to me, you know, you'd be really beautiful if you didn't have all those tattoos. There was an understanding that of course he would say that to me, you know, because this is what he's coming to the table with. And 
you know, there was a time in my life in which I believed that too, right? But each and every one of my scars, intentional or not, I earned. And so if you, as the other party, don't understand and celebrate that, then you and I are probably not a good fit. We're not a good match, you know? Or I don't have space for you to share my scars with, like. <laughs> well, right, and and you know, going public with some of the with some of the writing and going public with some of the photographs and the videos and all that stuff, you know, opened myself up to others' interpretations of what this might mean, right? And people saying things like that to me, oh, you know, you're so hot because fill in the blank or you know, you would be hot if, right? And that's fine. That's the experience that you're having. And I understand it and bless you. And I'm going to keep you at arm's length, you know? So how do but, you kind of like, I because I know, especially after a long history of kind of internalizing that shit, like how did you learn to not? Because that's like, you know, one thing, it's, it's one thing to be like, fuck you, I'm a 12, which is my personal rallying cry. <laughs> <laughs> Like, guess what, assholes? But, um, you know, I mean, and, and I choose me is like, I think a really bold statement. But then like when, you know, on the days when I'm feeling a little bit softer and more vulnerable and somebody says something like cruel or even just not even like not helpful, <laughs> you know, especially because like, you know, we put our work in the public forum. It's it's the 21st century. Like, how do you, what are the tools that you use to kind of like not stop? Well, I think that what has been super useful for me more recently is coming back to the understanding of this is a, this is a sick person like me, right? So I don't know where um, the poison comes in, right? But it comes in for lots of people. And even people that I find to be very spiritually evolved or very spiritually fit, they still are human beings like I am. Mm. And so we all have shortcomings, each and every one of us. And how do I not take those things into my own being? Well, there are, of course, like I get my feelings hurt like everybody else. And if somebody is you know, careless or callous in some way uh, with me. Of course, there are times in which that does affect me. But because I do tend to navigate from the place of I am of power, I am connected to source, this is just, you know, I just am the channel, then, you know, then it can't really be touched by that stuff, yeah. you know? Identity in this identity in source, I think, is a really powerful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Who am I to find fault in this? It's not even me. <laughs> well, right. And that, you know, so often when, you know, in these last several years, women have come to me, all walks of life, women I never would have met had I not um, been willing to open these doors in this way and said, because of this, I've had this experience. And so it helps me to understand, great, this is what I asked for. I asked to be useful to others. I asked to be, you know, open 
to the idea that someone somewhere could connect so that my personal journey in this form was not for nothing, right? And what does that mean? Well, it means that sometimes, you know, strangers approach me and they go, oh my gosh, because of this thing, I've now had this experience or um, I've been open to this idea. And Can you give us an so- anonymous example? Fun storytelling time. (laughs) Well, like when I was writing on garbage, right? That year that I spent writing on garbage, time and time. The gorilla poetry. Yeah, when I started, so. So we talk about your project, Sabrina, because they're fucking awesome. (laughs) Not everybody knows exactly what you do and what you do is rad. So tell us about gorilla poetry. I had a a very painful personal experience that was going on. And I was several years into my recovery and living in the, the reality that like I was untouchable in some way. I didn't know that, certainly. But, you know, then I had some really, uh, sort of dark leveling human experiences that went down back to back. And um, what had occurred to me was I'm going to write this poem and I'm going to leave it in this public space, right? Mm. And I'm not going to edit myself because I, as a writer, have always over-massaged the work, right? To the point of insanity making, right? And so I was like, okay, well, that I understand that if this is coming to me, that this is not of me. And so I must do this. And, you know, it evolved along the way. And I ended up spending a year uh, writing on found items and leaving them in public spaces. And As in every single day, like every single yeah. fucking day wow. and, and not editing any of them, not pre-writing, not spell checking, not, you know, not any of that. And so on a personal note, it freed the editor, the internal critic significantly. Um, wow. And uh, on a sort of all-encompassing note, what I started to have the experience, because as it was evolving, right, I started to get that it was bigger than me. Not to say like, oh, I'm so whatever, but rather that I understood this wasn't just about the personal experience I was having. And so I started to first virtually meet other people who would reach out to me and go, oh, this is, you know, affecting me in this way, or I feel this way about what you're doing or whatever. And then I started to actually meet some of those people in real life who could then dialogue with me about what the experience was for them, right? And and so I had one woman who eventually allowed me to take her photograph and, um, so, you know, she's had her photograph taken a lot of times and she's very beautiful and all of that stuff. But what she ended up writing me uh, or, you know, about a particular photograph that I took of her was how it allowed her to see something about herself, a, a certain portion of her body in a totally new and different way and in a loving and kind way. 
instead of hating this feature about herself like she always had. And I thought, oh my God, that's all, that was all worth it just for that. Yeah. You know, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Just backing up a second, when you talk about posting some of those pictures in public places, what public places, uh, could you give some examples of some of those public places that you were posting? Well, when I first did it, you know, I didn't know how it was going to unfold, but I just did it and wrote it and left it and, um, as an afterthought, took a photo of it, right? So and it'd be like, can you explain, just to be a little bit more clear on like, not not the process, but the product. So it'd be like, you'd find a piece of what somebody had thrown away or a found object, yes. and then yes. you'd carry around a Sharpie okay. and write a poem in real time without kind of planning on mm-hmm. the object, leave the object, mm-hmm. take a photo of the object in its natural habitat, and then go on with your life every day for a year. Yes. Wow. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> When's the book coming out? Well, that's actually, you know, quarantine has has brought that back into focus for me because of, of, you know, what are my ideas about what I wanted the book to look like versus what might be possible because I'm just one person that's relatively, you know, unknown. And so what does the financials look like to be able to produce a, a piece of work that I actually could stand behind? you know, as a physical object, because of course, you know, you can go photocopy all the photos and be like, here's my zine I made of my, but it's, but, I is, that what I, but is that what I actually want to do? I don't know. So it's, you know, ego comes up and I have to look at that and, you know, what is, you know, valuable. And, and, you know, I think in, in producing work like this, you know, what do I stand behind and what don't I? When I made the candles that I've been making, you know. Tell us about the candles, Sabrina. So I, I, I had an idea because somebody had reached out to me wanting a particular poem that I had written. She wanted it and she wanted it. Um, she had said, I want to have that. I want to have this as a print. And I, you know, said, okay, well, let me look into that and this and that. And I looked at the quality of the photo, which, you know, a lot of these are sort of throwaway photos snapped on the fly, right? And so I didn't really love what it would look like as a print, um, you know, a quote unquote fine art print. And, you know, so that was, I sort of, you know, put her off with, well, I'm still researching. And then one day I thought, why can't I put that on a novena candle? Mm. And to me, there was much more of an appeal in that way. And then of course it opened a whole new door in which I was like, all right, well, I'm taking my candle making skills and I'm (laughs) marrying it with my my poems and then I'm handing over a product to somebody who actually, you know, had expressed interest in wanting that product. Um, is that the end all be all? I don't think so, you know, but, but, you know, what it did is once again, it has been my experience. It opens more doors, right? So then I, I found out about oil-based Sharpies, which I had never heard of, and and went out and bought some because you can write on um, wow. glass, 
and wow. ceramics. And so I, I was like, great, now I have a whole new tool in my arsenal to use. Um, and are these turning into like spiritual objects for you? Yes, absolutely. And tell us know, about being a witch. <laughs> it was not a cool transition. <laughs> We forgot to mention Sabrina is a real life witch. <laughs> These are all unfoldings, right? Now, there have been um, a lifetime of experience in this realm, if we want to speak specifically to this avenue of being in touch with power and magic. Um, but, you know, as the practice deepens, as the understanding deepens, you know, what I noticed um, specifically when I left Los Angeles, um, and sort of, is that where you and Louisa met? Yes. Yes. I had already moved here, right? Yes. But you have been in a room in real life. Oh yes. No, because we have a similar, we have like a same kind of family tree in terms of uh, recovery, but oh yeah. So Sabrina is technically your cousin. (laughs) it's your sober cousin your sober cousin um felt it knew there's some weird shit going on okay keep going on the witch stuff well so so you know it's it's, (laughs) it was one of those things where the more that i became open right the more that i became willing to no longer fight what felt true right? Whether we're talking about sex, whether we're talking about spiritual practices, whether we're talking about what is my relationship to the moon and nature, all of that stuff, right? When I remove the um, confines of my mind, when I remove the compartments that I thought that I had to put everything in, you know, I wasn't very comfortable for a long time with anybody putting any label like that Uh, next to my name, you know, even though I grew up uh, my whole entire life, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, ha, 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 ha. I'm just about to say that. I'm so glad you got it out. Like my whole (laughs) life forever. Sorry. Even deep into adulthood, you know, because when they remade the show, people, you know, my whole life, people have been, you know, buying me copies of the comic book from the Archie. You know, at one time, I, uh, in a very, very drug-induced haze, went and got uh, a, a Sabrina the Teenage Witch from the Archie cartoons as a dominatrix tattooed on my leg. And, you know. Well, no. best. <laughs> Let me just reiterate. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, again and again and again, what does, what does, for me, what does using a term like that connotate, right? So as it's become very trendy in modern society, uh, oh, I'm a witch and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's cool. And I'm all about like, you do you, whatever. Mm-hmm. But but really understanding what does that mean for me? And specifically around like candle magic and and using those as a spiritual tool right in terms so, of like setting intention and yes and and also you know understanding that if i am working with you know uh the power that lives within me right and i and i do then let that guide me right and so 
what the gifts that I've gotten from really tapping that source from the moment that it came clear that I could and would be leaving LA, having no idea what that would look like. And then each sort of magical experience that took place after that, you know, um, from being lost in the mountains of Arizona and finding a stream that I could then release a wish flower for my child that I'd been given by a guru in Texas. You know, it was like things like that where it's like, there's really no explanation that uh, is logical and yet these things are happening. Right. And, um, when it came to me about the candles, which I had made candles for others in the past, you know, here's a candle because I know you're struggling in this area. And here's my directions about how to sit with that candle, really uh, giving someone else the gift of, of access to their own power. So it's not my power, it's theirs, right? Wow. Um, well, how can I do that with these candles, right? And so the the woman that wanted that print, I made that can I first asked her if it would be okay if instead of making a physical fine art print, which to me didn't ring true, can I make this candle for you instead? And by the way, I would like to uh give the candle some uh magic. Would you be okay with that? Right. And she said yes. And so then consent I said, is okay. key. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> very key in all areas, all areas, all areas. All yes. the time. <laughs> it is. And, and then asking her, is there anything that you need or that you feel that you would like me to focus on? And she told me, and so I did it and then I gave it to her and then she hit me up after, um, she received it and started using it and said, I just want you to know these things have transpired. Now, what is that? it could go to ego, of course, but instead what it was is it was an affirmation. You're on the right track, Sabrina. Mm -hmm. You're doing what you actually are supposed to be doing. And, you know, it's just like the question that I posed to myself um, intuitively when it, when it became clear that I needed to leave LA, which was, is this a roadblock or an opening? And I look at most of life like that. Is this a roadblock or an opening? Is this an old idea or not? You know, are these ways in which I can grow or not? And I have a feeling it's consistently an opening. <laughs> it's just, exactly. Just <laughs> exactly. And so I, you know, sometimes it's scary, right? You're going, oh, fuck, where am I going? Not this opening. <laughs> right. Please, no. Like, like, why am I going down this insane portal? I'm not really sure. But I, I have enough experience at this point to understand that when it's truly an opening, that can't be anything but a gift. Fuck yeah. Wow. <laughs> Just to briefly kind of check in with that, man, that's like, especially I think during this, is a, this fucking global pandemic, <laughs> like a lot of us are forced to see a lot of it as uh, a roadblock or an opening, you know, because like... Mm. Especially during such a and not carry guilt around being like, is this an opening? Because so many people are having a much rougher time, you know. Mm -hmm. And like, is this my privilege asking that question, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? But mm -hmm. at the same time, like, who am I to not um, use this as a gift if 
if it's possible and hopefully turn, turn something positive out of the situation, you know, but man, like that whole, but I also think you've got to acknowledge the roadblock. Do you know what I mean? I think we very quickly try to get to, this is an opening. This is an opening. This is an opening. And not grieve this is an opening. The, and then run the travel. fuck out. <laughs> yeah. And I think we have to get, I think we have to acknowledge sometimes that you know, we're in a global pandemic right now. Mm-hmm. This is a real fucking roadblock. Mm-hmm. This is, this is, but are there openings? Indeed there are. Sometimes they are very small and sometimes they are very large. Yeah. Or I mean, the, the what is it? What was that? Is it like acceptance, action, awareness, acceptance, action? So like, until like I might try and over jump over acceptance and be like, I'm aware that this is an opening. So let me take action as opposed to like my acceptance of this and the fact that I feel grief over the way it's not necessarily going the way I thought it would or the way I wanted it to. Like mm-hmm. to not kind of take this the space to like have a feeling about it can be really tempting just like I just want to feel better about this you know like of course well and and let me just say that none of my awakenings have been seamless or pain-free at all Mm. none if if it is I'm highly suspicious (laughs) (laughs) because I really have not had an experience yet that I've leveled up in any way without incredible amounts of pain and without um, absolute teardowns. You know, it's never like, oh, well, we just need to redo this bathroom floor. It's always like we need to knock every single one of these walls down and rebuild from the ground up. And again, (laughs) again, and again, and again. And so roadblock or opening is just a really simple way to frame it, but none of it was pain-free. None of my particular crossroads, my specific crossroads have been uh, easy or um, fun at all. And yet, as a woman who's had enough of these experiences now, I can breathe into them, right? And go, okay, I'm not really enjoying this, but I do know that something is coming, right? And and I, you know, I read this this poem a while back that ended with the line, um, I love you, joy is coming. And I oh. and I remember that line on an almost daily basis. I love you, joy is coming, you know, because you know. It, it is. And sometimes it's a small joy and sometimes it's a really big joy. But, but what is, you know, what is the real focus there? I do. I love you. I love you, Sabrina. I love you. And, you know, even when faced with any sort of adversity, you know, whether it be fear of finances or romance or, you know, what the fuck am I doing with my life or whatever it looks like, you know, I'm not getting what I want. Um, (laughs) The, the ultimate thing is, you know, I love you. Joy is coming. Well, and maybe that sounds like maybe a great place to end. (laughs) (laughs) I want to keep talking, but I'm like, that's fucking beautiful. Isn't that great? 
<sighs> will you send us the poem? We can post it I in will. show notes. I will. It's a, it's a good one. It's, um, Ugh. you know, it's one of those like certain little stanzas or lines, um, whether it's from a book or a song or a poem, they stand out to me. And so they become part of the, the prayer, right? The ongoing mm-hmm. prayer. And like, you know, some of those are mine and some of them are not. Right. And so I look at like one of them that comes up a lot is the, when I was staying downtown and everything was kind of bleak externally, but I was deep into the process of, of the 365. And, um, this poem came out that on one of the nights that was on construction, right? So there was this scaffolding with construction. And so that's where the poem was being written that night was on the scaffolding. And, um, it was very long, which isn't always my tendency. And, and what, you know, the line that I still remember that came out was be your own best girl. And like, right. That's right. I am going to be and continue to be my own best girl, you know, because that's, again, choose me. I choose me. Thank you so much for just being so eloquent and vulnerable and courageous in sharing um, your journey and your connection with and your connection to your journey and uh, the road bumps and the openings it's been such a joy to have this conversation Sabrina thank you so much before we uh, before we log off uh, can you give us your social media where can people find your art and your poetry where 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 is good to find you on the internet Sabrina my first name uh, underscore Rosalita yes Sabrina underscore Rosalita yeah don't snooze on that anybody. <laughs> <laughs>